Hello, Polytopians. Thanks for tuning into the Polytopian Times. I'm your host, Sam, and today we're talking about the Polaris, the hardy Arctic tribesmen that made a deal with the demons of the ice. Today's a special episode. We're joined by Hawthorne, and because he happens to be quite fond of Polaris, he'll take the lead on discussing their strategy. Thanks for coming on the show. And I must say, I'm looking forward to hearing all those juicy strats. Nice to be back on the show. I am shivering with glee. Fighting tooth and hail to make it on more often. You know, <laughs> gotta freeze the day. So yeah, let's talk about the tribe that makes refrigerators more redundant than me excessively repeating myself, which is probably gonna happen a lot. <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's good to have you back, man. Looking forward to more puns from the pun lord here too. Well, uh, let's explore those frigid wastes of theirs. Yes, puns for his pun throne. You go on. The cold wind gusts across a sheet of glimmering ice, whipping across your face underneath the hood of your parka. The sun hangs low in the sky, framed by two jutting sheets of glacial ice bursting through the snowy permafrost on the island ahead of you. Between the icy cliffs lays a snow-laden forest made up of cryophorous trees, spiky light blue fir trees that almost look like they're made of ice. The players drank the partially melted sap of the tree, kept chill with anuki crystals and savored in cups fashioned out of mamu tusks. In front of the glaciers in the forest is an expanse of barren snow leading up to the frozen shore. Dotting the barren area by the shore are glittering pink star-shaped anuki crystals, magical gems that radiate energy capable of healing wounds and that power the spread of the Polaris ice sheet. A movement in between the distant cryophorous trees catches your eye. Looking closer, a bulky brown shape slips between the branches before stepping out into the clearing. Before you is a massive mamu, a giant brown-furred mammoth with huge curling tusks. On the back of the intimidating beast, you spy a polytopian clad in a tan-colored parka, the hood pulled up over their head and trimmed with a burst of white fur. It's a Polaris rider scouting the taiga for a new settlement. It doesn't take long for them to see that the shoreline is empty. They turn around and begin to trot back through the frosty woods. You tag along behind them, eager to see one of the Polaris' cities. Eventually, you break from the woods and spot the settlement sitting on a large, flat plain of snow. The Polaris' cities are made up of ice and snow that surrounds them, clusters of large, igloo-like snow domes rising up from the plains, with several of the topmost domes peaked by giant ice spikes. You can see the light of fire spilling out of doors and windows, and find yourself taken aback for a second, off-put by the explosion of life against the otherwise lifeless, perpetually frozen taiga. The Polaris are based on the indigenous peoples of Siberia and northern Canada, and like them, they have adapted to their harsh climate as best as they can. However, unlike their worldly counterparts, the Polaris have otherworldly benefactors. For many eons, the Polaris stayed tucked away in their icy prison, until they met the fearsome Gami, giant deer-headed creatures shrouded in a black robe with antlers made of ice, glowing red eyes, and exuding a chilling aura. They're based on the Wendigo, demon-like monsters from indigenous lore. When they met the Polaris, the Gami blessed them with their leadership and power. Now the Polaris worship their unnatural saviors, dancing, singing, and making sacrifices to their dark lords while garbed in ritualistic shirts. The place where the Polaris and Gami first met was turned into the ice bank, a gigantic tower built to show the Polaris what the Gami are capable of. Out of it flow treasures, a reminder of how much the Polaris owe to their supernatural masters. The Polaris and Gami worked tirelessly to turn the square into a frosty paradise, spreading the ice far beyond the natural barriers of the warmer climes. Little blue moonies skate across the ice, freezing open waters by focusing moonbeams while humming away to themselves. But not all of Polaris's expansion is so pleasant. They're just as likely to spread their chilly lands by virtue of their battle sleds, ice fortresses, and mighty mammoths, freezing and trampling underfoot all who would oppose them. The Polaris are coming, and with them comes winter. Well, Hawthorne, would you mind walking us through the special units and some strategy for the players? Yeah, I would, I would not mind at all. In fact, I would find it quite ice. Uh, just, to just a note there, if you happen to find crystals that are radiating <laughs> mysterious energy, they're probably not the healing kind. And uh, if you, if you are, have anything to do with, with Polaris, look out for signs in Cyrillic mentioning Chernobyl. Because they're, <laughs> they're, as I understand it, they're like Canadian Russians, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Based on uh, people of Siberia and like uh, northern, northern Canada. Yeah. So if you have to do their voice, we kind of got to switch between Russian and Russian accents and Canadian stuff. Like, da, we shall defend the motherland against Napoleon <laughs> and drink liquor lager, eh? Yeah. Right there. yeah. 
anyway, uh, their resource and terrain spawn rates are worth mentioning because they don't have any. The Polaris don't actually have their own unique spawn rates. They just use those of the lands they freeze. Uh, they're kind of like aliens only from the north instead of from outer space. If every player uses Polaris, the land base used is Imperius. So if you want to 1v1 a Polaris player and really confuse them, go Imperius. I'll make them a little bit, I'll make them shiver with anticipation. Good to um, know. Yeah. Good to know, eh? Their starting tech is the Frostwork technology. It gives them the ability to train Moonies and use those Moonies in turn to freeze territory. Uh, you can not only freeze the water, you can also freeze the land. Reasons to do that to come later. There are a lot, of, there are actually probably as many or perhaps even more perks and drawbacks to this tribe as any of the other tribes there are. They're very unique. Yeah. Uh, now yeah. They have the already mentioned, already mentioned ability to freeze unoccupied land, empty water, and enemy units. Uh, and they have no less than five unique, well, no fewer than five unique units and two unique buildings, uh, that being the outpost and the ice bank. Uh, the different tech changes for the tribe are Frostwork, Polar Warfare, and Polarism. Frostwork replaces sailing, and it also enables the creation of moonies and outposts. You get it at the start, like I mentioned. Polar Warfare replaces navigation. That's basically your sea warfare that you get. Uh, it grants access to battle sleds and ice fortresses. Polarism replaces Aquatism. Uh, it grants all units that don't have the skate ability, because those units get double movement anyway, and extra movement when they're on the ice. Uh, that's super Special nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the polarism is definitely, you need it probably more even than, than other tribes need aquatism, I would argue. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, it would be easy to call them almost an aquatic tribe better than the, the tribe that's supposed to be aquatic, the Aquarium, just because of how much they rely on ice, would you say? Yeah, honestly, I'd agree. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Polaris is still somehow more viable on dry lands than Aquarian is. Oh, God, yeah, that's true, too. Anyway, enough said about poor Aquarian that we, I don't know if we've covered them yet, but uh, special buildings and here's the special buildings that we get, basically, and how and when and why to use them. There's outposts and ice banks. Uh, the outposts are, they basically just replace ports. You can create trade routes across the ice like a port would, um, and they cost five stars and provide one population. Just a side note, if you are ever confused by why you built an outpost, but you're still not getting the connected thing, try building a road. It may be that it needs a road to connect the outpost to your city, uh, kind of the same way that a, uh, that a port might need to. Um, yeah, good advice to keep in mind. Yes. And speaking of ports, the replacement for the whole ports and customs houses dynamic, which if you've never played ice, this the ice warriors here before might worry you a little bit. I'm just going to switch between Polaris and ice warriors, I guess that's going to happen. Uh, the ice bank replaces your customs houses. The great thing is you, uh, you only have to build one. The downside is you can only build one per game. So choose wisely. Don't put it in some kind of like you know, just wherever, where because once it gets taken, you are going to be crying a lot of icy tears. Uh, it only costs 20 stars. I say only because you don't have to build a ton of customs houses or extra ports. And it generates three stars for every 20 ice tiles on the map, including land, frozen land tiles. Uh, the max level is 10, meaning that it would make at most 30 stars per turn. Uh, it's, it's actually less than what a developed network of customs houses can generate but it has its many advantages, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of convenience and uh, you know, lower cost. Anyway, you can, so yeah, you can, you can bump yourself up a massive amount relatively early in the game with this. Uh, onto their special units. They, I'll give you the description and why you wanna use them. You've got the Mooney, which you get at the start. The Ice Archer, Ice Archer says no, just stop things in their tracks. The Gammy, the Battle Sled, and one of my favorites, the Ice Fortress. I, I love the visual of the Ice Fortress, by the way. It, it's like a bunch of kids were playing in the snow for too long and got lost and then created their own little civilization and just kind of kept running with it. And I like to imagine like they, about you know three generations later, rather than taking a toboggan down, they just have this massive like giant five toboggans sliding down and firing cannonballs at each other. It's, it's awesome. Like anyway. that um, never-ending party in uh, 
what is it, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where they're just flying around getting looting people for supplies for the never-ending party? I need to reread that. I don't remember the never-ending party. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there. so we'll start out with the Mooney. It costs five stars, it has 10 HP, and it's a little bit weak. Uh, it can freeze an area, like including enemy units, and it can skate. However, it, you would think it would be really good, except for the fact that it can't dash. So you have to walk up next to the warrior and then get hit by the warrior and then freeze the warrior. So if there's more than one, you're losing your five-star Mooney. Sorry. Uh, you don't even get to convert it either. It's not like a, it's not like a mind bender. Uh, anyway, they do have two defense. So it's basically like a warrior that can't attack and only freeze. They, they are, however, very good in the, in the sense that you can actually cross water tiles earlier in the game than anybody else. There is also my, my personal favorite unit in the entirety of Polytopia, the Ice Archer. My the catchphrase, Ice Archer says no. You want to build a unit in your city? Ice Archer says no. You want to advance through this narrow strip of land? Ice Archer says no. It costs three, only three stars as 10 HP and 0.1 attack, which I guess means no attack, one defense, one movement, and two range. Pretty much just a regular archer, except it has the freeze ability, the only unit in the game with this ability, where it freezes enemy units when attacking so they can't move or, uh, even more importantly, in the late game, respond to attacks. Uh, they also have dash, which means that if you have an ice archer within two tiles of an enemy unit, that unit is dead in the water if you so choose. They also have fortify, not that it will do you much good, uh, because they can't respond to attacks with any damage. Then you have the Gemi, replaces the giant, has 30 HP, four attack, four defense, and one movement. They, the, you might be asking, well, why 30 HP? Isn't that kind of lame? No, because they have auto freeze. When this unit moves, it automatically freezes any surrounding tiles and units when it moves. It can also just freeze the area on demand, but not as cool as auto freeze. The, if you have a Gami versus a giant, the Gami will win because the Gami will move right up next to the giant, which will promptly get frozen, and the Gami will just mob it to death. Lastly, uh, well, set penultimately, we have the Battle Sled. It costs five stars, 15 HP, three attack, two defense, and two movement. It can dash, skate, and escape. A note on the dash, though, it can only dash on the ice. It, on land, these are basically just overgrown shields that cost more and take more to research. Kind of lame. Uh, then you have the Ice Fortress. Great for defending your little uh, patches of ice that you've made, presumably with your Moonies and Gammies. It costs 15 stars, so pretty big, but if you compare it to the cost for, say, a battleship, which it's theoretically replacing, it's not too bad. Uh, it has 20 HP, four attack, three defense, one movement, and two range. It does not have dash, however, which means that a lot of times when you're moving your Ice Fortresses up, you're the one getting hit first, and you have to rely on the Ice Fortress firing back to do any real damage initially. Uh, it also has the Scout ability, so you can see way farther. Uh, and Skate, where it can move double on water. I think that uh, covers it. I mean, the only thing I'd want to clarify with Skate is, like, God, it does get the two movement on Ice, because it gets that double bonus, but, like, it does not move anywhere else effectively. It's just so slow. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's appropriately named. It's a fortress. You can actually put it in, just kind of plant them in places that you just need some defense. Uh, especially, I especially like moving them in on the very corners of the maps where they can't get swarmed as much. So it just Ooh. worries the your opponents that if they move in and attack in the center, the ice fortress is going to attack from the side. Uh, kind of, they're, they're really great at setting up the the wings of a concave front attack, which I'll describe later. Beautiful. Close those pincers. Yes. All right. Like some kind of crab. Again, wrong track for that, though. A frozen <laughs> crab. Yeah. So uh, on to the, onto a little bit more of the, the strategy of this. Early game is going to be a little bit of a high-risk situation. It depends on what other tribes nearby pick and whether they're going for early expansion or not. Your hope is that they're not going for early expansion. But if they see you, they're probably going to go for it. Uh, the biggest inherent perk, you know, is kind of obvious. Hey, you can freeze enemy units. It's not as big a deal in the early game where you're like freezing a, a two-star warrior. And you know, you're to do that, you have to pay for a three-star uh, ice archer. 
that is basically completely vulnerable. It doesn't even have like a regular archer's defense. Um, it, it, the, the, basically, the amount that you're exposing yourself is the value you're exposing to the enemy is equal or greater to the value you're freezing the enemy. Uh, it's still good early game, and I highly recommend if you if you need to rush a particular unit, ice archers are the way to go. But in the late game, who boy, you can essentially sacrifice a three point ice archer or five point Mooney. Not Mooney's not as tactically relevant, uh, and tie up a twenty point battleship or giant. It's crucial. Uh, if your opponent, you know, that you're playing against complains, you can just remind them, hey, freeze things happen. Uh, the ice grants increased movement as well, uh, but it offers no defense bonus. So keep that in mind. And also keep in mind that an enemy with aquatism will have the advantage in uh, in terms of naval combat, unless you freeze them. So the best strategies, with, given the, the technical and economic starting conditions, are pretty simple. Just just optimize for late game if you have the option. Uh, Sam, you got anything to add for that? I mean, that's honestly, yeah, optimized for that late game. Um, get ice in general if you're not on a drylands map. And if you are, I mean, just still keep freezing as much as you can. I mean, at the end of the day, you're always building up for that ice bank. And I mean, honestly, considering that ice can be broken, but frozen tiles are very difficult to unfreeze. You might even get more if you just freeze along the coast. It guarantees you'll at least have some frozen tiles left over, even if somebody tries to break them. Yeah, you want to get more. It's like building up a little buffer there. Um, yeah. As far as like what you want to do when you're starting out with the Polaris is if you're if you're lucky and you're near the coast, move your Mooney towards the water and just begin to freeze your way forward. Uh, this is especially if you're in water-heavy situations. Uh, even if you're just near a couple water tiles, though, check the movement. Your Mooney might actually be able to move twice at the start, basically for free. Um, you don't, Obviously, you don't want to move directly towards the very edge of the map. Uh, side note, the edge tiles rarely have ruins and never have any towns to take. But if you can get those extra movement points, take them. Uh, this doesn't mean build all Moonies at the start, though. The only case where you'd want to build double Moonies, but well, we'll get, on. We'll get to that later. Anyway, movement towards the center if you're on the coast. It'll help you use the ice and build it up as a strategic resource for when you get, get to building the ice bank and as a tactical resources, as a tactical resource for the whole now you fight me, now you don't passive aggressive tactic. Uh, if you don't know what passive aggressive means, by the way, you can look it up. You'll find that it fits well with Polaris tactics. If you play them a little bit, you'll, you'll start to figure that out. Um, anyway, if you, can't, uh, if you can't move towards the center of the map using a Mooney on some ice, which is a pretty specific scenario now that I say it out loud, um, just move in towards the center of the map looking for a new home. You'll want to get a resource tech that's prevalent in your lands, which will depend on what tribe you're playing against, i.e. if you're playing against Kiku, you'll notice a lot of fish nearby. That's probably a good idea. If you're playing against Luxador, go for fruit. Uh, and riding is, is okay if you know that you have enough space and if you know that you're going to rush Ice Bank. But don't rush it too hard unless you're ice-related. Uh, faster mobility to hit frozen units is great, but you don't want to sacrifice your population or you know the, the difficulty you're going to have early game with your economy may, uh, may make it too, too difficult for you to get without losing your cities. Uh, you, you also need to expand all that. There's some disagreement among people who may or may not be on this channel about whether rush ice bank before getting ice archers is a good idea. But usually your, your early to mid-game goal is to get the ice bank built. Uh, it's not usually a good idea to play Polaris on a drylands map, but if you are, the ice bank is still going to help you because it, it relies on frozen tiles, not necessarily ice tiles. And land can be frozen, apparently. Uh, yeah. So on to more of the tactics. Now that you've gotten started and you've hopefully played a few games against the AI as Polaris, uh, the best tactics, the best tactic I think involves the Ice Archer, my favorite unit in the whole game. I call it the Frozen City or a Hiring Freeze. You can freeze an enemy city and not only do you block the unit in the city, but you block their ability to produce anything in that city. Double the slow, two numb for the price of one. Put them on a hiring freeze. Polaris is the only tribe that, with a mere three-point ice archer, can block production in an entire city. For tribes that rely on spamming units from those cities, looking at you, Samanti, uh, or for a lonely city with less support, this is crucial. 
Bonus points if you can use ice to get in close and then break the ice and then do this from across a buffer of unfrozen water, making it an unaccessible ice archer that possibly can't even be seen in the fog of war. Uh, another one of my favorite tactics, speaking of using buffers of uh, unfrozen water and freezing and unfreezing, is the now you fight me, now you don't. If you can suck a lot of attention into one area and then freeze the battle by, not by actually freezing the units, but by breaking the ice that you just made, you can basically decide where and when conflict occurs by selectively isolating yourself. Against a high mobility player, this may not be as effective, but you can. But if you can build a wall of ice that can be turned back into water on demand, this can frustrate any plans by the enemy that involve more than one turn. I actually did this to Sam in a couple games. Uh, for instance, as in that game, for Sam Manti, much of the fight involves thinking more than one turn ahead. And if you have a nice little thin river of water that you can freeze and unfreeze whenever you want to move across, it's basically like controlling your own personal bridge. And I got to tell you, having been on the other side of that, it is punishing. There's just not really an easy way out of it. You just got to build up units and hope one person can like stay alive, usually a Rachi, get up close and like kill the ice archers and then break the ice sheet so he can't get close enough to freeze you anymore. And that's just, it's, it's a losing fight if you're a stuck there. Yeah, and if you have roads and ice archers are really, really cheap in the late game, especially if you have an ice bank, you could just, you could basically just spam them until everything is frozen. It's, everything is frozen! I, should we call that the ice drawbridge tactic? Absolutely. And I mean, the other really cool thing yeah. is, like, at least against Simanti, without, like, any persist units, their Dumuxes can't take out, like, you can't take out a massive chain of them. You can't effectively oh, yeah. spam them out. You can't. I mean, like oh, that's they, totally right. Yeah. If you'd freeze those Dumuxes, make a wall they can't get across, you know, like your ice archers, it's just, it's brutal. They're... Oh man, I, I did this to one player in one of my games and he just quit. He just straight <laughs> up quit. He was done. I resigned as soon as I think I, I think I only ice archered uh, three of his Dumuxes and he was just, nope, he noped out so fast. <laughs> anyway, uh, certainly uh, on, along other tactics that don't involve my favorite ever unit, uh, try to make surprise invasions on, on any maps that involve a lot of water. Just freeze your way towards the enemy where you know they're weak or unprepared, while at the same time keeping them busy with like a fake conflict elsewhere on the map. And if everything goes to, to your evil plan, they will have an extremely minimal amount of time to react and prepare. Because most of the stars they've spent will be tied up over on your other side of the map. Uh, bonus points if they actually try to retreat their forces to counter your little surprise invasion, because that could weaken their defense in the foe conflict enough for it to become less foe. And you now have a choice of where and when to strike. I'm sure there's some kind of Sun Tzu quote related to that, but I'm going to go with the now you freeze me, now you don't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, if they counter hard enough, you can take your, your little side attack and just use that now you freeze me, now you don't tactic, and or the Sorry, you can use the, the ice drawbridge tactic to just kind of walk away from it without losing anything. Um, because the Polaris is a naval heavy tribe, and yes, their ice attacks count as a navy, you'll need to learn to, how to counter enemy navies in asymmetrical warfare. Neither side is going to be able to trespass into the other's territory because ships can't go on ice. Um, and your ice units can't go on the water they have to freeze it first. I'm actually in a game like this right now. I've taken over most of the sea and it is it is so slow. I mean, I'm winning, so I'm happy, but it's just a grind. It, you might almost say the battle is frozen. Um, advances on either side will be limited in scope due to the slow nature of creating or breaking ice. You can actually make it a lot slower by keeping a few sleds nearby in this uh, the shredder sledder tactic, which we'll cover later. As the Polaris, you don't have battleships. Cry your frozen tears of sadness all the way to the bank. The key here is you can force the enemy to come into contact with your ice fortresses, which you should be able to afford if you have, like a good boy, rushed the ice bank. Uh, you can use the natural barrier or the frozen water to cycle any back that survive to get e-glued back together by a mind bank. And then it gets near the ice enough to break it, has one turn. They have to, they basically have to brave uh, for a, an entire turn of being exposed to your sleds and ice archers. Uh, which should be, you know, if you're playing it right, about two tiles from the ice water line. They can zip in, make like the police and say freeze, 
damage and head back to get healed or whatever. Uh, it's kind of, I it's tempting, and I've done this many times, where you just send a bunch of gammies back and forth. It's actually very gratifying to have two gammies. One goes forward and freezes some tiles, and then the other uses the extra move to leapfrog the other gammy, giving you, you know, two layers of, of freeze. The problem is that they, they just get slaughtered by battleships if you don't have ice fortresses to support. So if you're doing the whole gammy advance thing, make sure to bring ice fortresses along with you because they're they're going to kill your gammy and you need to be able to kill them back. Sage advice. Anyway, yeah. Uh, any any further comments on that whole uh, building on the whole naval warfare thing? No, I mean that's that's spot on, and I'll I'll be tuning in a little bit more from the other side later when we get to how to counter the Polaris. But yeah, it's, it's really all comes back to like keeping that ice line up and like keeping an eye out because they are more resilient than darting around and like you know and you're gonna want to kill all their freeze units you want to kill those gummies you want to kill whatever you can and yep. uh you know as uh, as a player's player you got to keep an eye out because that's one of your uh, enemy players priorities they want those gummies dead so yeah definitely don't sacrifice them yeah, anything you can do to kill off the gammies. Uh, then all they can do is do moonies, and those are relatively easy to kill too. As as the Polaris, you want to make sure that when they do come in and try to kill your freeze units, you make them pay for it. And that brings me to one of the one of my uh, one of the other tactics here: shredder sledders. You basically get a cluster of like three or four battle sleds and maybe one or two mind benders. As soon as you make enough ice, like maybe a layer of three or four tiles out from one of your cities, your sleds can zip in, do some damage, and return to heal even if the enemy unit isn't frozen. Um, this Again, this does rely on having enough ice water, but once it's done, the enemy basically can't break your ice. Make sure not to... The ice, by the way, is very precious. It is hard in a battle situation where the the front line is being contested. It is very hard to bring a freeze unit up to the front line. That's not a gammy and advance. And even if you do bring up a gammy, like we mentioned earlier, they're going to go and kill it right away. Uh, make sure not to build up too many sleds if you don't have some ice fortresses already, by the way, to hold the ice in place and counter anybody moving too close. Uh, again, I can't stress it enough. Defend your ice. Everybody's going to want to get rid of it, especially in the late game. But it is ice is literally money. Uh, so. What do you do to defend it? Keep in mind that they have to move, again, that they have to move their units into position before they can break the ice. Meaning that your shredder sledders or whatever other tactic you want to do have open season on these units that are moving up for one turn. A lot of times the only thing they can do is just mass in a bunch of units, try to spam your, your ice water boundary line and try to break the ice, you know, hoping that you don't kill all of them and that some of them survive, kind of like the turtles, baby turtles on the Galapagos, only in reverse. <laughs> anyway, strategies, this, uh, this also brings me to strategies for small 1v1 or loosely populated maps. The, the strategies I've talked about earlier do kind of rely on having a little bit of extra space to move. On a really small map, you're kind of in trouble. Uh, you basically have to play the game like you're in, like you're standard tribe expanding your borders and economy until you can eventually build an ice bank at which point things begin to take off a little bit uh, you'll initially fight in the standard in the you know in the early game like a standard tribe that just sucks a little bit more uh, but as combat goes on you'll be able to introduce your ice archers again my favorite uh, and if there's any water battle sleds and ice fortresses if you get lucky or plan well you can get an early game gammy which are proportionally insanely powerful especially against, like I said, other giants. Um, and they can pretty much walk around and, and freeze everything, especially since on the smaller maps, there tends to be like a, a greater concentration of like three or four units in one place. Uh, which brings me to strategies for smaller crowded maps. Uh, you're not going, you're going to have an even worse time if it's a small map and it's crowded. Polaris has a weak early game. They just do. Uh, it it kind of makes up for the fact that they are so awesome late game on the water maps. Uh, but on a small cramped map, you'll be forced into conflict with your opponents much sooner. And you won't have the luxury of researching your special units as easily. Uh, it's easy to get stopped before you get going in this sort of game. I actually just had a game against a noob where I played as Polaris and he played as the Illyrian. And it was no contest. I got Polytor spammed and that was it. Um, also, with a convex front line, your ice archers will be very easy to counter. By a convex front line, I mean one where... 
you're moving forward where the enemy has units or, or even cities on either side of the area you're trying to take. If you do that with ice archers, you're going to have a bad time. Ice archers are actually kind of true to the, the overall Russianness of this unit. They're, they're really great at taking an attack that's coming in and just punishing it. You want to make the enemy scared of moving into your territory. With a crowded map, it's a lot harder to do that. Uh, if you have the option, break the ice, even the ice from your initial city to slow the game down and make the world a little bit larger if you can. Or if it's ship time, use the ice to slow the game down. Are you noticing a theme here? It's kind of Polaris's thing is, you know, slowing stuff down. And that's all good advice. You, uh, you really, really, really want to leverage that advantage while you do have it. But I mean, it's, it's on point. Your early game sucks. I mean, there's no nice way of putting it. You've uh, you got standard tribe gameplay, but uh, you know without hacks that are going to really advance you in the early game a lot. I mean, Moonies are great for lining up for later on, and they're great for expansion if you have the ability to use them on water. But for the most part, um, any other player is going to have an advantage. And I mean, if your Mooney doesn't have the luxury of walking on water, and he's just wandering around on land, and he does find a city. It's really easy for an enemy warrior to just show up and gank him. I mean, you're basically stuck oh, yeah. at this little. Yeah, you're going to lose. Even if you freeze them for a couple of turns, they'll just walk up a second warrior. That'll finish the job. It's bad. Yeah. Anyway, you're you're going to have a lot more luck on larger 1v1 maps or, you know, maps that don't that are large and don't have quite as many players. Uh, mm -hmm. Unlike the smaller map types, uh, large 1v1 maps, you can actually, as much as I hate to say it, you can rush Ice Bank. Uh, and you actually probably should get riders too, not for the advantage of any kind of mobility, but because on these larger maps, you have a lot more space to expand quickly. Um, and you have the luxury of time to research and develop before you wind up, you know, getting your, your moonies all shredded. This is kind of a, a recurring theme is you're, if you explore with moonies that don't, that don't really have anything they can attack with, they're, I mean, they're just kind of going to get sacrificed. It's a sad lot of the Polaris. Anyway, uh, on these larger maps, they should give you plenty of time to prepare for a mid or late game conflict, which is really what you want as the Polaris. And the size of the map, you know, larger space and everything should allow you plenty of time to prepare. It'll be much easier to maximize the profits from your ice bank too. I've played on these once or ice and it does work quite well. If you have a larger map that is also somehow crowded, like if you have a massive map that also has maybe 20 players sprinkled around on there, It'll play a lot more like a small crowded map, but you'll have a little bit more space to maneuver. And if you do manage to survive, the stakes are much better. Uh, your best bet is to stall, uh, freeze the game, so to speak. Also, you get an advantage with my favorite units, the Ice Archers. Uh, you can also use Gammy, obviously, um, and then you can use those to conquer whoever your weakest neighbor is. Rinse and repeat until you conquer the map or get conquered in turn. Conquering your weakest neighbor on these larger crowded maps Ice archers and you know the whole hiring freeze thing, perfect perfect tactic for this. Uh, for dry lands, I mean, if we're going to talk about the different terrain types, dry lands is probably Polaris's worst. Uh, if you if you want to win, avoid dry lands maps if you can. You do have a choice, even on a random, of, you know, not selecting dry lands. I mean, it could still be fun, but you know. If you, if you just enjoy playing, sometimes losing can be fun, but you're, you're probably not going to win. You're giving yourself a handicap at least. Almost all of Polaris' special abilities are focused on ice, which in turn has to be made out of water. And you won't be able to leverage, uh, leverage that if you are on a drylands map. Um, you do, however, still get the ice bank, and you still get the ice archers, and your ice fortresses, even though they can only move one at a time, even on roads, uh, are still relevant. Probably the, the unit that gets nerfed the most on a drylands map is your battle slits. They're just, they're just not that good. Uh, it's worth trying at least once, maybe even against a computer. And if you do try it, lean heavily on the ice archers and the fact that unlike the rest of your foes, you can build the equivalent of battleships, even though it's a land map with the inimitable ice fortress. So uh, yeah, it's a little bit, it'll be a little bit stressful. Don't worry, it gets better from here. Then right. as we keep going down, it's, it's easier. Um, on lakes maps, Polaris is best off leveraging their ability to change the battlefield by freezing the lakes while leaving a border of water that their enemy can't retaliate through easily. Because you can freeze the lake, and then you can unfreeze the lake. You can also have a Mooney ready to freeze a path to an enemy city at the edge of the ice, so some battle sleds can skate in and just take the city right over. 
you can also put one of your gamis paired with a warrior to move, freeze the territory, strike with riders or something, and then freeze the water behind you. This is especially devastating against the Simanti. A couple tactics there for you if you want to try them out. Oh, tasty. Uh, Sam, anything you'd want to add to the lakes thing? Uh, no, I mean, that's that's generally some good advice. You're, uh, at least you have some water. Um, you know, ice banks always going to be useful no matter what, but uh, you finally get to leverage some, you know, mobility advantages. Um, you're going to do better with bigger lakes over smaller lakes, but, uh, you know, no matter what, you'll always be able to leverage the lakes, and there's a good chance your opponent's probably not even going to bother, at least in the early game. So, I mean, use it to your advantage while you got it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and against Illyrion, where we were just talking about this in the last episode, Illyrion can kind of use the lakes as a little, as a way for their dragons to basically act as amphibious units. Haha, <laughs> we're going over the lake and bombing you. Oh, no, no, now we're coming back. Oh, that, that gets shut down so fast with Polaris. So <laughs> they actually, I actually feel like they kind of counter that little, hey, 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 we're striking over the lakes thing that the Illyrion have. Oh, it's so great. I'm up against. You remember that player I was talking about who kept playing Illyrion? Oh yeah. I am. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm using this whole. Oh, oh, sorry. What lake uh, tactic on him with the Polaris? That's great. Oh, uh, that's some beautiful Schadenfreude. Yes, it is. Anyway, uh, for continents and archipelago, it just gets better. Uh, it's tempting to see your units as replacement for ships, uh, which you kind of can. And if you're on water, don't forget to make a lot of them. They're not land units. They are water units. Uh, but the key difference here is in creep. You need to make steady increases in the amount of ice that you have as you go and start early. There, it's, it, you, you're just not going to have a disadvantage. Like I mentioned earlier, it's a strategic resource because it gets you more. It gets you, once you get the ice bank, you, you base, ice is basically money. And it's a tactical resource because you can control when and where battles occur. Even uh, as soon as the enemy builds ships, you can basically block off half the map. I did this against one player where I, on a large map, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to build two moonies. I built two moonies and sort of walked them across the map until I had an, an, actually half of the map, by the time he even built ships, was already blocked off from him even being able to move in. He resigned so fast. It was great. Um, Ooh, dastardly. Yes, it was very. I felt bad. I, 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 was, I didn't even offer to friend the guy. I was pretty sure he was just done. Um, <laughs> As far as a water world, by the way, you can do the same thing. Just crank it up. Crank up the ice maker. Uh, the sheer amount of water provides both a barrier to expansion in the early game for any of the other tribes. Uh, and, and you should probably even get double moonies. Just, just go for it on water, on water world maps. Uh, you want to use your advantage of practically having a way across the water at turn zero to maximum effect. Like I said, I want a game this way. It's, it's great stuff. Um, not only will they forge paths to new cities for you, but it'll also help your ice bank be more profitable, like I said earlier, and you'll block everybody else. So maximize that return. Uh, otherwise, play them kind of like a continents or archipelago map on the water world map, but understand you'll, you'll generally just have a lot less resources to expand with. Uh, you'll be leaning on outposts in the ice bank hard, which is not necessarily a bad thing given how little your enemies are gonna have. Keep in mind, if you're frustrated, by like how little resources there are, your opponent, if you're Polaris, is frustrated even more. Anyway, yeah. anything to add to the map types there? I think that pretty much covers how they play on those. You know, at the end of the day, the more water you get, the more fun you're going to have. And you can generally do more even when you have no resources, because like you said, everybody else is having an even worse time. I mean, at least you can put down outposts on some of those single tile cities. You can't get a customs house, so you're just limited to, you know, the temples and the ports you can lay down there. You know, there's I've heard there's the uh, there's the liquid metaphor for finance, like the the liquid model. I, yeah. I feel like it's kind of made literal here in that your ice is literally money. You're getting yourself some cold hard cash. Yeah, power and profit all in one go. Yeah, so I came. I added to the, the normal format of this podcast a little special section on strategic timing, just because I feel it's extra important. It's important with all the tribes, but with Polaris, with their crappy early game, I feel like it's especially important. Oh, lovely! Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm actually kind of excited. This is uh, some of the really good uh, juicy strats I was looking for earlier. Oh yeah, it's ice. It's ice stuff. 
know, I am, I am shivering with anticipation. Um, <laughs> I make a distinction between tactics and strategy for Polaris. Uh, overall, I feel like the strategy is to control when and where the fighting occurs and to use the, to, to use the, the different phases of the game to your advantage and, and reduce your disadvantage. Um, you, you'll, you'll want to control when and where the fighting occurs in three different ways. Number one, my favorite thing ever, ice archers freeze units and, and freeze cities if you can. Uh, repeat after me, ice archer says no. Ice archer says no. Yeah, it's like Gandalf, you know, you shall not pass. Even if you lose the ice archer, it's often worth it since you're disabling two units. Not only are you disabling the unit that you're freezing, but you're also disabling the unit that would have been built in the city where you're doing the hiring freeze. Um, the other thing you can do, the, the other way you can control when and where the fighting occurs is by tanking with the ice fortresses. If you space them out two tiles apart, the, the enemy basically can't get through. If, if they're a high mobility player, like if they're Symanti and they're, uh, they're boosting, they're using boost on uh, hexapods or something, it, it's a perfect counter to them. Uh, and, and finally, just straight up freezing the whole areas. Um, this is actually more important in the, the early and mid game, um, freezing and unfreezing water. Just imagine, like, like I said, Gadolf at the bridge saying, you shall not pass, only with you know, more ice. Uh, so on to the actual like like phases. There's early game, mid game, and late game. Like we have repeated over and over again, early game you're in trouble. Many players <clears throat> like to skip the line and rush ice bank sometimes when it's not appropriate. I'm just uh, but I actually think this is yeah. I just think this is kind of a mistake most of the time, especially on a lakes map uh, or worse, a dry land map. Um, save up. I mean, if you're if you're sufficiently isolated, it's good, but. If you're like, if there's any chance you're going to be coming up against the enemy too early, it's better to go, I think, for ice archers, although I'm obviously biased towards ice archers. Save up a few turns, a few stars each turn for it where you can, but don't rush it unless you're somehow way ahead in the early game. Or again, you know there's some kind of a natural barrier. Uh, the stars you can put into the ice bank are the same ones you could use to expand your current holdings or, or even like build up that initial defense that you are absolutely going to need. Uh, plus, although Polaris can take advantage of the mobility and population boost of roads, I feel like riders aren't really that useful for a tribe that doesn't rely as heavily on rapid expansion. Uh, if you do use riders, they can serve two special purposes for the Polaris. Revenge attacks, like you keep them behind, like a little bit behind your cities if the Samanti come in and, and do their hexapod thing. Um, and and also for expanding quickly, if, if it is in the case where you definitely know that you just need to take a ton of cities quickly. Um, also, early games where you have to assess what kind of tribes you're going up against. If you don't have your own type of terrain tiles, then you can pretty much tell pretty quickly if you're going to have hexapod spam or polytor spam in your future, uh, basically by looking at the type of terrain you're terraforming. Um, because as Polaris, you're relying on your neighbor's terrain type, it also helps to have broad knowledge of the different tribes and their resource spawn rates. Exactly the kind of knowledge you could potentially get from Sam's previous tribe-focused tribe -focused podcast. Check them out, and uh, don't forget to check out the subreddit, plugging it, and the Facebook page, why not? r slash polytopian times, folks. Get out there. Also, feel free to ask questions. Uh, Hawthorne and I are both lurking around, ready to answer them, make you better players, and uh, just in general, have a good time. And uh, maybe we can get some memes up there. Who knows? Yes, lurking. Lurking in the shadows. Uh, feel free to friend <laughs> me on there. Anyway, as for uh, tactics, the only time you should be making two, you should be doing the double Mooney thing is if you have, like I mentioned earlier, if you've got a water roll or similarly hilariously water focused position. Uh, but if you're not an archipelago or water roll, don't, don't do double Mooney, just get a Mooney at work. Um, your Mooney, by the way, like I've mentioned earlier, it can get an extra movement point or two if you have a water tile right next to your new cities. Um, Take careful note of this when you're expanding as it can give you the slight edge that you're going to desperately need in that early game. Also, I do want to make a special note against Polytor spam, which has killed me in uh, the last two games, the last two 1v1 games I've played. Uh, according to Sam here, the counter is... Oh, yes. Now, if you want to counter the Polytor spam, you don't want to throw out some more you spam of your own. I mean, in my opinion, you want to just hit them as hard as you can and hit them before they get a chance to hit you. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, if you're using Polaris, that's generally the same case. You can have a worse time of it. I mean, it'd be great if you have anything that can freeze them so you can just murder them real quick because they're easy to kill. It's just, you know, they might do damage back to you and you just don't, like, even Illyrian's going to have a better economy than you at the start of the game and that's rough. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I got to say, Moonies, uh, they're, they're a utility they're a utility unit. You're you're not going to get a ton of damage or tactical ability from them. Whatever yeah. you were trying to do with a Mooney, I feel like you're going to get better from just uh, rushing ice archers or, like you said, building a, a wall of warriors to be slaughtered by the Polytors. Right. Or even, honestly, just um, if you're not in combat, just spend time and span some gommies because, I mean, even then, like, as long as they're supported, they're still better than the Moonies because they can't be one-shot by surprise. Yeah, not to rag on the cute little Moonies, but they're, they're not the greatest, technically. Anyway, that brings me on to mid-game. Mid-game is all about getting your money right. If you have a playlist for the acquisition of wealth, and now is the time to put it on. Uh, you should start putting together the pieces for your end game, or at least prevent losing them. That means ice. That means maybe getting some moonies someplace safe where they can expand your ice and uh, basically doing anything that'll boost your income. Uh, there's no shame in getting shields if you're really up against it mid-game, uh, but try not to be too cowardly. Remember, early game shame can eventually lead to late-game fame. Yeah. Anyway, Beautiful. don't worry too much if you fall behind in mid-game. Ice archers can slow down what probably looks like an overwhelming invasion force, and there's no shame in breaking your own ice to do the ice drawbridge thing if you need to frustrate an attack. Ah, lovely. Well, uh, good to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, as for the end game, the last and final of this three-part timing thingy, uh, if you lasted to the end game, celebrate. You know, pour yourself a very, very cold glass of some kind of cold drink. I think there's a there's a blueberry uh, blueberry muscat that comes to mind. Um, yeah, you can pretend it's some of that uh, delicious slushy sap. Yeah, if you you know if you live somewhere cold, you know, and it's winter, go outside a little bit, uh, feel the the pricklings of your skin while you begin your final the, the final countdown if you've survived this long it's almost like a victory condition of its own especially if you're up against early game polytors and now it is time for polaris to shine polaris actually refers to the north star and your north star when you're playing this game should be late game you should consider building a couple extra moonies to start getting more ice and don't push too far into land assuming you've started taking over more of the sea uh, until you've taken full advantage of your superiority in the sea. Um, use the shredder sledders tactic and just punish anybody that gets on your ice. Uh, it's my ice. It's not yours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. place, place ice fortresses two or three squares apart and two, uh, maybe one or two squares back from the edge of the ice, depending on the presence of catapults to prevent any permanent incursions. Uh, now is the time for you to make it so that the enemy, enemy's mobility in the water is reduced. A lot of late game is about the, the water game. Now, you play, play as a conventional tribe everywhere else, but you can really take advantage of just completely frustrating and starving everyone out. Uh, it's, it's time to, to ice them. Anyway, I think this is, now that I've uh, basically sung the praises of Polaris, it's time for Sam to knock them down with a discussion of the counters. Anything yeah. you would uh, anything you would add to to take what I have this little this little ice fortress I've built up and start dismantling it? Um, no. thrower, herbal flamethrower there. So one one thing to add for the end game, um, if anything, is to you know it. You're not going to have customs houses. You don't have to worry about placements like that. But what you can really do is focus on just farming gummies once you have that ice oh, bank yes. up and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just, as many as you can. Why not, right? They're delicious. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you only get rewarded for it. And, I mean, eventually you'll be like, I don't even need Moonies. I've just got 30 Gamis going in a straight line across the map. Anything they run into dies because of battle sleds and ice fortresses. And it's just any city I run into, frozen immediately, taken over the next turn. It's, it's, it's stupidly OP when you do it. And it can, once you like hit the point where they first hit you and they're like, oh, cool, half the map's frozen and there's a line of gummies, instant resign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and for every, get, just in case they're uh, made of tougher stuff than that and start doing this tactic where they bring up three battleships at once to kill your, to basically one shot your gummies, 
you can, if you start noticing them doing that, just crank out a few extra ice fortresses. IMO, you should have like an ice fortress, at least one ice fortress for every gammy that you field. Uh, but if you see them starting to, to bring up battleships, it's ice fortress time. Just mix them right in. Yeah, don't even hesitate. And uh, I mean, speaking of, let's talk some more about how you can be real good at murdering Polaris units. Uh, starting off, a lot of their advantage is going to come from like their ice archers ability to stall those high value single units but that's kind of where simanti can be a good counter for example because like their units tend to be more more numerous difficult to stall they're they're spamming everything out they want as many units as they can get out there i mean you know yeah, yeah I, you know there's examples where like that ice archer can just say no a dragon ship's frozen and that battleship's just out but i mean it it's hard to freeze units that are just going to run up and blow up on you and i mean Obviously, you know, knights are going to be good. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I mean, I, I think that's a good point. Hexapod spam is great. They're great for riding in and out. They cannot, they won't be in range to be frozen. They can still get that kill. And I mean, really, once you're at the point where you can get Exitas or Dumuxes or Rachis or anything, they can get up and just blow up and do some damage, get that poison in. I mean, that's where their front lines start to soften up real hardcore. I mean, beyond that, the number one thing you really want to do if you want to make Polaris suffer is just break that ice. Yeah. We break the ice. <laughs> also, if you back to what you're saying about the hexapods, yeah, yeah. they're they're terrifying for a Polaris player. One, they one shot your beautiful, beautiful ice archers too. Always makes me sad. Yeah, they're they can be monsters, and and we'll we'll harp on that a little bit more next episode. They're going to be your favorite thing as a Simanti player, and everyone else's least favorite thing until you get centipedes or dumuxes. Or yeah, make the Polaris cry frozen tears. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, keep them crying. At least make more money in the ice bank. Well, yeah, make sure that ice is breaking because yeah, they they rely on their ice bank more specifically, and you know their movement's going to be limited by the ice's reach. So by breaking that ice, you get to control where and how they spread. And you know, every time you do it, it hits their bottom line, unless a majority of the map is covered in ice already, in which case it's probably already too late. Uh, you're gonna need to park a unit next to the ice you wanna break though. And you have to wait one turn, like you would be able to to mind bend the unit. At the start of the next turn, you'll see the break the ice option appear. Uh, don't move or attack with that unit if you wanna be able to break the ice. It takes the whole turn to do that. Uh, once you click break the ice, all the ice touching that unit will be broken that isn't occupied by another unit that is and it'll turn into water so you want to maybe line up multiple units at key points along the edge of the ice sheet you know every three tiles you'll have uh, another or every two tiles you'll have another unit spaced out because they break the three in front of them so you can uh, make sure you're breaking an entire sheet in one turn and i mean you can slowly chip away the advance of the freeze i, I kind of want to emphasize that you need to bring multiples because if you're if you're going up against a smart Polaris player and they're countering your counter properly, moving up one unit at a time is going to do nothing. Because they'll move up next to the ice. You'll be like, oh, oh, next turn I'll break the ice. No, this is a two-turn operation. That first turn they will bring in an ice archer and freeze you before you can do anything. So yeah, you got to bring up multiple. It's like the, the turtles in Galapagos, turtle babies. Google it. I'm done. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, it, to that point, you want to be careful of the Moonies and especially the Gamis because they're going to be capable of freezing the units you were planning on using to break the ice too if they show up. And I mean, those two units, even further than like the Ice Archer, and I mean, the Moonies a lot less likely, but the Gamis especially, they get to pull a reverse card out on your plan. So instead of you getting to uh, break that ice, they're going to freeze your unit and then surround them with more ice. You know, it, it's, it just makes a bad situation worse. And then they're frozen and stuck in ice waiting for either uh, any player's unit to run up and kill them. Or, I mean, they can take their time if they're sadistic and just mind bend you slowly. And it's great for breaking uh, the psychology of someone playing against a player's player. You just watch a mind bender walk up turn by turn and then mind bend your giant while you're helpless. Yeah, you were saying you did that to uh, to a noob that one time. I, I will want to add it is it does become kind of a vicious icicle, and <laughs> so you you probably want to put a if you want to break it though you can put a couple battleships out. So you're thinking, hey, I move my unit up, they move forward to freeze it. I move my battleship in and kill whatever they used to freeze it. It's a great way to take out gammies. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, when you're in that active combat with players, you're going to want to make sure you target their gamis number one, then ice archers, and then moonies, that order of priority. The gamis are the most impactful tool in a Polaris player's belt, and they can shut down those entire front lines with ease. So you want to keep your distance. Yeah, you want to kill right. them as, yeah, yeah, keep that distance, kill them as quickly as you can. Um, the ice archers are going to be a lot easier to kill. Yeah, just stream like regular archers, but I mean, they can't hurt you when you attack them. Knights are fantastic for clearing out ice archer spam, and moonies, moonies are moonies. They're the mind bender of units that can use freeze. They're really easy to see coming in counter. Uh, just note about the ice archers. If you're up against Simanti, they don't have knights. And ice archers are also very easy to make. If you're a Polaris player, just if you see knights, keep the ice archers in pairs, not like a giant line of them. And yeah, make sure those pairs aren't touching each other. You know, if they run into a lone unit, you can't persist a chain. Um, so past that, you're going to be looking at uh, probably some harder resistance at the edge of their ice sheet in the form of ice fortresses. And when you're fighting those, you're going to be better off attacking them than being attacked by them. They have four attack, but only three defense. And they generally don't have a defense bonus because they're going to be on the ice and you'll get a defense bonus on the ice. And they don't have the fortify abilities. So if somebody tries to use them for city defense, they're going to be easier to kill than a swordsman or a defender because both those units are going to have a defense bonus, and especially if there's walls, because like they'll have a way higher defense than just a lone ice fortress would have, even with the 20 health. Now, uh, their battle sleds, they're going to be likewise weaker on the defense than on the offense. So if you get the chance to go and hit one of their battle sleds, you want to be aggressive doing damage to them with that opportunity. Um, it's not going to be as easy to get a lineup on them, hey, they're easier to kill when you run into them. And I mean, if you can just damage them to the point where they have five health, they can't really do as much damage to you in return. They're, you just nerf their potential in advance. Now, if you are playing Symantia or Lyrian, specifically, both those tribes do have access to the splash damage. That can kill like big groups of clumped up units, especially on the front line of that ice sheet where they're going to be clumped up trying to hold you back. So, I mean, that's good to keep in mind. It's not always going to work out that way, but... Um, I mean, it's definitely something to leverage when you can. Yeah, just a note on that. If you're playing, if you're playing Polaris, you don't have to clump up your units to be effective. Uh, a lot of other, a lot of other, you know, different tribes kind of need to do that. Uh, Polaris is not one of them. You can afford to keep one space between each of your units, especially since you can, if you are clumping up your units specifically for the purpose of blocking theirs, you can actually turn their units into the wall with enough ice archers. Very true. Very true. Well, um, I guess last couple of pieces of advice if you're going to be fighting against Polaris. Keep in mind they got that really weak early game. Because of that, they're going to be relying on expansion to become a viable tribe. So forward settling them can be really crippling. If you get the chance, you want to cut them off from the rest of the map, and then you, know, you get to watch their empire slowly crumble while you grow strong in comparison. Um, and aside from that, I would just make sure you fight them at a distance from your lands. As far as you can get away when you want to start that fight, they're really hard to push back once they start freezing units. So if front lines are going to get dug in, you want as much breathing room as possible to fight them. Yeah, I mean, as a Polaris player, currently playing a lot of Polaris for some reason, uh, probably <laughs> because this guy kept playing Illyrion and ticking me off. Uh, it, it, <laughs> if somebody forward settles you with, you know, say, a ton of Polytors, you're, you're in trouble. You really are. It's, it's a very effective tactic to just at the very start do a bunch of land grabbing. Uh, if you can even go, even going riders, uh, you know, I, I would say even the Omaji are actually a good counter to uh, a good counter to Polaris. Yeah, you just want to hit them hard real early. That way, they don't get a chance to grow into a threat. So let's uh, let's flip things on side a little bit. Hawthorne, why would you choose to use Polaris? Well, in in my case, it, I didn't necessarily chose Polaris. They chose me. I mean, seriously, <laughs> uh, I found myself losing consistently to a particular tribe, which will not be named, mm. uh, especially in the late game. And Polaris kind of gave me that edge that I need that, that's hard to ignore. Uh, I was playing a Simanti for a while, and late game, I was even getting eaten by the non-pay-to-win tribes. Uh, so if you, if you find yourself losing consistency, consistently, it may be the edge you need to win. Also, as I mentioned earlier, if you are the type of person that just kind of wants to freeze everybody in their tracks or if you consider you know if you're a chill dude uh <laughs> polaris polaris may be the track for you 
Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a good pick. Well, uh, that was our look at the Frigid Polaris. What a cool tribe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks for tuning into the Polytopian Times, as always. And thank you, Hawthorne, for sharing all that knowledge on those icy renegades. Oh, it's been, it's been cool. Thank you, children. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure, as always. Now, uh, next week, we'll be taking a look at our final tribe, the Bug People, the Cymanti, dominators of the current game meta. You know, it's, it's been a wild ride, and there's going to be a lot of content past that. A lot more strategy discussion between me and Hawthorne. And, um, you know, while we're coming up to the end of the podcast, there's no reason not to pop on the subreddit. I'm going to plug it one more time. And, uh, I don't know, you can always ask for our advice, but uh, also feel free to get on and let us know what you want to hear, where you want the show to go next. You know, just because we're done with the tribes doesn't mean the show's over. So, um, you know, pop on there. Let us know what you think. And I, until then... Well, I uh, see you next week. To the subreddits. To the subreddits. <laughs> <laughs>